What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Dunk and Holder is back on the airwaves, literally podcast waves. Jeff Duncan, Larry Holder here from, let's say, just New Orleans style. Instead of doing it in studio, our new podcast here on The Athletic, we're doing it at a bar. Typical for us, Jeff. Yeah, we're celebrating our resurrection of the Duncan Holder podcast in New Orleans style uh, out at a, what would you call it, a drinking establishment, I guess, but a very popular one. And if there is some ambient noise in the background, just know that in typical Duncan Holder style, we're having a good time while we are uh, celebrating our return to the airwaves. Uh, of course. Why would we do this any other way? And look, this has been really a long time coming. Of course, if you're new to our podcast, which it's our first episode on The Athletic, thanks for joining us. But look, Jeff and I have worked together for a long time uh, at the Times Picayune and NOLA.com. We used to host a radio show together. And I left for The Athletic about a year ago. And this is something that people have been asking us about for literally a year. When is this thing going to come back? And Jeff, I know you're excited about this. And you just started here at The Athletic, I don't know, less than a month ago or maybe a little yeah. over a month. And I've been here the entire time for the New Orleans launch for a year. And look, we're just growing leaps and bounds. And it's something that we really relished when we worked together doing daily radio. Now, that was a grind. No doubt about that. But to bring this back to you guys in podcast form is something I know we're really fired up about. And it's going to be a lot of Saints, let's be honest. Saints moves the needle. But we're also going to talk LSU. We're going to talk Tulane. We're going to talk Pelicans when, when their season starts. Anything important. Uh, we might as well talk River Ridge baseball. Come on. My hometown. Come on. Well, look, you and I both, we talked about doing the radio show even after you left NOLA.com and went to The Athletic because we enjoyed doing it so much and it was so popular. We wanted to keep it going, and uh, so it's really exciting to be able to have that opportunity here, rejoin forces at The Athletic. We have an incredible team, not only here locally, but across the nation, the support staff, the army of great journalists, editors, administrative staff at The Athletic. Uh, You know, I'm just now getting my first taste of this. Larry's been doing it for over a year, and he's told me about it all along. We kept in touch and were friends throughout. You know what? Everything he's told me, has been true and then some. I'm, I'm really, really happy with my decision to come over. And we are both going to join forces to try and bring to you, the listener, to our readers, the best coverage of New Orleans sports there is. And I feel confident we're going to do that. And we hope you come along for the ride because we're anticipating, right, Larry, one of the great maybe 12 months of New Orleans sports coverage in the history of this great city. This also goes into a bit of the transition in the media market here. I mean, look, you're probably not working with me right now, to be honest, if things didn't go down with the Times Picayune and NOLA.com. I mean, let's just be frank about this. I know you've discussed this in your intro column coming to The Athletic. It's pretty wild, the turn that this media market has taken a shift. Now, I can tell you, and I I wrote this in my one-year anniversary column, that us at The Athletic, we were growing anyway, and that was in the works. It wasn't maybe necessarily that Jeff was going to come, but he's always been interested in the work we've been doing with The Athletic, and it's kind of made a turn where Catherine Terrell and Brody Miller join us. That was already going to happen. Then 
what happens with the Times Picayune, and it just led us to be able to grow even more with you, Jeff, and then our good longtime friend and boss, Jennifer Armstrong, who is now overseeing everyone at the Athletic New Orleans has worked under Jennifer in some period here in New Orleans. And I think that makes really, actually makes our market more unique than other places because, and you look at some of the other athletic markets that they pick from other places, you know, it hasn't all been from one per se, even though Catherine is joining us from ESPN. But we've all, I know you and me and Jennifer have all worked with everyone that's been under this umbrella. And that makes this even more unique than maybe any other market within the athletic network per se. Yeah, and I get asked a lot, I'm sure you did too, when you first went on board, what's it like? What's working at the athletic like? Well, what I, my immediate response is it's exactly like working at the time speaking in NOLA.com. It's a very seamless transition in that I'm working with the same people that I worked with. I have the same boss. I'm covering the exact same things. I'm in the exact same role. We're just doing it at a larger platform with a larger audience. And we hope everyone locally joins that audience because I really think what we have to offer at The Athletic is unparalleled. Where else can you get the best local coverage supplemented by the best national and now international coverage in all of sports? There there really is no place like it. And if you're like me, you grew up, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, so I still like to follow University of Louisville sports, as Larry knows full well. But I'm also, well. I'm also a, a big San Francisco Giants fan. I like following the Cleveland Browns. I kind of grew up following them. Now I can basically tailor my homepage to a la carte sports coverage of all those sports entities. And I'm sure everyone else is just like that. You can get all your local New Orleans LSU coverage here, but then you can also get what else you like. If you're a huge Premier League soccer fan, you can tailor your homepage there. There's nothing like that out there, and it's not only the quantity of coverage, but it's the quality of coverage which separates the athletic. Ever since I've come on board, the chance to work with Larry again and and this entire team has been a huge motivational push for me, and I couldn't be happier. I haven't looked back. Obviously, we both enjoyed and were really excited about working at the Times Picayune as long as we did. We loved it there. But you're right, Larry. It's a new media world landscape that we're in, and I'm excited about it. I really am. I will just add, though, while we cover the same thing, and actually my role is a little bit different than what it was at the Times Picayune, which for, for almost a year it was at on an island and I was doing a lot of different things almost out of necessity but now that we've kind of fully staffed in New Orleans that my job is basically the same as your job we are going to basically touch on everything New Orleans everything anything Baton Rouge Southeast Louisiana all Louisiana whatever whatever we you and me feel important we're going to be able to dive into and we've got expert coverage on the Saints with Catherine Terrell Brody Miller with LSU, of course, Will Guillory with the Pelicans, Deuce Windham does a great job on film study. He's been with us since the beginning, of course, Will as well. And so I feel like we bring more depth because we aren't focused in on, oh my gosh, the third team long snapper, even though I'm going to panic over that. He just got cut and you got to write a story about it. I mean, we, we do it in a different style. And it's honestly took me a little bit to get used to when I first started. But now I feel like it's been so rewarding. I've been able to do some of the best work. And when you add this podcast together, I mean, that was one of the pitches when Jeff was interested and when I came on board and I knew we were going to have this initiative for podcasts here at The Athletic, I was like, we have to bring back Duncan Holder. I mean, people in New Orleans despite some popular belief or unpopular belief on Twitter from all of your Twitter haters, Jeff, that you probably blocked seven times. They'd made fake names and, and, and tried to kneel you as well. But people wanted this thing back, and we're I could just tell you we're excited about doing this again. 
Yeah, and I think that's important to note that we're basically going to talk about whatever is on the minds of New Orleanians on this podcast. Most of the time, that will be dealing with the Saints. The Saints are, without question, the most popular sports topic in New Orleans, have been for a long time, but really have mushroomed in popularity since Drew Brees and Sean Payton came here the last 13, 14 years. But we're going to touch on anything that's uh, trending and moving the needle, and that will definitely involve LSU, Tulane, Obviously, the Pelicans are going to be heavy now that they have Zion Williamson, David Griffin taking over there as general manager. So we just want to let you know that the agenda here is not going to always be Saints, but you're going to get a lot of Saints 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even throughout the offseason, because this town is crazy about the Saints. You saw the preseason ratings already. New Orleans, number one in ratings in the preseason. It just shows you just how popular NFL football and the Saints are here. And no one knows them and I can say this very humbly, I think, and but also I think confidently that we know more about the Saints than anyone covering the team right now. I don't think there's any doubt about it. We've both combined, I think, covered this team for, what, two or three decades combined? I don't want to make the math. I don't know. I, We're both I, I'm in season 14. Yeah, and I'm My first day covering this team was when Drew Brees signed his contract in 2006. So we can relate. We can give perspective <laughs> to the to what we're covering because we've – been there for a long time. So when we see an Emmanuel Butler emerge, we have the perspective to say, okay, we've seen something like this happen before. Is this real? Is it not? And let you know, yes, this guy actually is pretty good as opposed to the flash in the pan guys that that flash up almost every year. You get a guy like that. Every year. So that's what you're going to get here. You're going to get depth of perspective, a broad look at things. We're not just, look, we both live in New Orleans. Larry's from here. I've lived here 20 years. We love New Orleans through and through. We're also going to give you perspective when the Saints are not good at a certain area or when they're not doing well. We know that. We have covered the league for a long time, and we're going to tell you so you know perhaps what some of the issues could be or what the concerns could be for the team, and that could also be for LSU, Tulane, or wherever. I think the perspective is going to be very important throughout this podcast because we think you can get it here maybe where you couldn't get it somewhere else. Absolutely. And a perfect segue since we're talking about, all right, how is this team going to perform? Look, we've seen the Saints go for three preseason games here. Uh, It's been somewhat shaky to watch at times. And then you look at the first-team offense and the first-team defense in the most important preseason game per se against the Jets. And Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas looked like, all right, can we get to week eight? They might be seven and one. And the first-team defense, they shut down an inferior offense and create a takeaway right away with Marshawn Lattimore. So, to me, anything that happened before that, as far as the first units, I couldn't care less about. You saw one series with Breeze. You saw three with the first-team defense. And they looked ready to roll as if they are going to be one of the best teams in the NFL. And didn't you feel like that even when camp started? You know, I said this team really doesn't need need much of a training camp because all the starting spots have pretty much been determined early on. They pretty much gave the starting job or, or Eric McCoy earned the starting job at center in week one for the most part. We determined pretty quickly P.J. Williams was going to be this nickel. And Deontay Harris, once he started playing in preseason games, to me he's looked like clearly the, the return guy. Those were the three kind of major issues, I think, we were dealing with because the only open roster spots on this team were filled in free agency by 
you know, Latavius Murray coming in, Jerry Cook coming in. Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown. All the open spots were filled with ready-made starters. Uh, so this team's ready to go. There's no doubt. They've looked ready to go. It's been a very business-like camp. And one of the things that struck me throughout this training camp has been just how little – there's not a lot of gimmicks going on. Sean Payton's not – Burying a coffin of the no no call or game. Having some slogan. There's and no that and the other. yeah. There's no mantra. They this, they know this team's good. They don't need motivation. They're ready to go, and it's just it feels different than past years. This team's very mature. I think Sean Payton knows they're good. They know they're good, and they're they're ready to go. And we talk about some of those roster races, and it has been a challenge, I'd say, for me. Because I've been, you know, even when we worked together at Thomas Union, I did a bunch of roster projections. I've done them here at The Athletic. And it's not like the races are who's going to be the number two receiver. Or, man, who is going to start at linebacker or at, say, the corner in the base defense. It's been nitpicking almost. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be the backup quarterback? That's not a question. I mean, I've had three quarterbacks the whole time. That's going to stay the same. Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill are going to back up Drew Brees. We're talking about who's going to be their third running back. Who's going to be the backup tackle. I mean, these sort of things. Even that nickel job that you mentioned. I didn't think that P.J. Williams would necessarily win the job, but it became pretty apparent early that he's going to win that job. And it's not like... And this is kind of one of the surprises I've thought about. I've been waiting for Patrick Robinson to elevate his play, and he just hasn't. They've got a lot of money invested in him. We know when Patrick Robinson was right a couple years ago, he was one of, if not arguably, the best nickel corner in the NFL for the Eagles. He gets hurt last year. Now what do you do with him? I don't think they cut ties with him. But to me, if I'm going to say one of the surprises – within camp. He's more of a disappointment. Right. Uh, There's no doubt. He has not lived up to maybe that reputation, and maybe it's because P.J. Williams is actually better than we're giving him credit for. I don't don't know, but I just haven't seen it from Patrick Robinson, and obviously neither has the team. He isn't really challenged at all for that role, and I agree with you 100%. I think it's a disappointment. Uh, He doesn't look confident, and he's really never threatened P.J. Williams in any way. P.J. Williams played... I'd say he was hit or miss a year ago. His rating through pro football focus is one of the worst in the league. He was very miss very early yes, and then improved. Yes, improved. He's very good against the run. He's a great open field tackler, and he's a liability outside. So he has to play in the slot. The Saints know that, and Patrick Robinson has the ability to go outside. He struggled in camp, but he has more of ability to play outside than P.J. Williams, I think. So they, they're going to keep him around, I think, just because he's valuable in case they get some injuries well, there. Well, also costs a, a good bit of money. You don't want to just throw that away. It's not like he's played his way off the team. Well, well who's better than him after you get past the top three? I, I don't think they have somebody better than Patrick Robinson. Maybe someone's chomping at the bit for uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I don't think he's there yet. He can't play outside, though, at corner, I don't think. The only two corners they have that you would feel actually confident playing the outside are the two starters. Right. I mean, you get to Ken Crawley. We've seen that show. Ken Crawley, I think he's going to be playing elsewhere in a week. I think he's going to be cut, and someone is going to sign him, but I think his time is up. I mean, especially, it's funny, we were, uh, which game was it? Second preseason Chargers game, game when they could have called and thrown the red flag to challenge a pass interference penalty that Crawley may not have committed, even though he was called for it. 
and Sean Payton just kind of had a look. No, I just assume he did it. So that's no what it is on him. Yeah, look, I, I think the Saints, and I think this is true, Larry, and I think you would agree with me. It's it's true in a lot of positions, and this is not, not, not necessarily something to be concerned about. But the Saints have, I'd say, about seven really elite talents on this team. If you go down the list, it's, that's more than what we've seen in a long time. Right, they've Very got top heavy. Drew Brees, Cam Jordan, Marshawn Lattimore, Mike Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchek, Demario Davis, and Taron Armstead. I'd say those are the eight elite talents they have. And of those, I would say Lattimore and Mike Thomas are really the most, maybe Cam Jordan, most indispensable ones. There's a huge drop-off when you go past those guys. We've seen a little bit with Taron Armstead. When he comes out and the Saints go to their backup left tackle in preseason, it's a revolving door out there. The quarterbacks are really under siege. And I think the same thing happens when Marshawn Lattimore goes out. They have no one that's a true shutdown corner like him. Same thing for Mike Thomas. Now that just shows you how good those guys are because I think the other players behind them are NFL caliber players, but they're not elite. And you really see a drop-off. And the Saints have to keep those stars healthy, I think, to contend again for a title. They did a year ago. Of that that eight-man group, Larry, the only one that suffered any significant injury was Taron Armstead a year ago. The rest of those guys played all 16 games. That's probably not going to happen again. So fans need to be kind of brace themselves for some adversity because this team didn't get a lot of adversity until the very end of last season. It's funny, the one player I would argue is actually the most indispensable player of all of them, uh, of that top eight, you didn't mention. And his name is not Drew Brees. I think, in my opinion, it's Alvin Kamara. You have no replacement. I don't know if there's a replacement necessarily in the league outside of Christian McCaffrey. Yes, he's the only one. Who can play that role. So I think if he were to go down, they would be in a heap of trouble. And it's it's pretty remarkable the fact that we're not saying Drew Brees because I think it go, just goes to show you how talented that quarterback room is. But as far as Kamara is concerned, it changes the entire dynamic of the offense because in my eyes, Latavius Murray is not Mark Ingram. If Kamara were, were going to go down and Ingram were there, Ingram can be versatile can carry the load if he has to. I don't think Murray's capable of that, and I think there's also a worry, per se, about his touches. How many touches is Sean Payton going to give him? Because you don't want to run him into the ground, and he's not like this big guy. So how much do you want to use him? So it's definitely a mix and match for Kamara going forward. Here's what I think is going to happen with Kamara, and I think we both know Sean Payton. And we both know how much he loves Alvin Kamara. And I wrote my column on him a week ago, and suddenly my Twitter feed got hijacked by fantasy football freaks from all over the country. It was amazing. They were all focusing on the workload of Alvin Kamara. And here's here's what I think I tried to relate to people, and and it it just got lost in translation. You mean it got lost in translation on Twitter? Yes, especially with fantasy geeks. I don't know if Alvin Kamara is going to have more touches than he had a year ago. I think he's going to have way more touches when it matters than he did a year ago. And it goes back to exactly what Larry said. Mark Ingram can hold his own. You can put him in on third down. You can put him in on the goal line. He is a quality NFL back. He's a high level. He's a Pro Bowl caliber running back. 
Latavius Murray is not Mark Ingram, and I know how Sean Payton operates. He wants his studs. He wants to feed the studs. He's going to give the ball to Alvin Kamara in those key situations. He's not going to have Latavius Murray out there in a critical situation when he can have Alvin Kamara. So I think Murray's going to get his touches basically between the 25-yard lines when it doesn't really matter. So it may translate to the same amount of touches for Kamara, but Kamara's going to get the ball when it matters. There's no doubt in my mind. You know what I think they're going to do more, even though they did it a lot last year? Third and one, third and two. Taysom's going to be back there with Alvin Kamara, and it's going to be like, all right, who's going to get the ball? And then they're going to run. I think that they might feel better about that than anything else. I I don't blame them for doing that. And I would agree with you on Kamara. I I think he is an elite player. I think he's probably the best all-around running back the Saints have ever had, and that's saying something because as much of a dearth at quarterback the Saints have had a history of, other than Drew Brees, They've had a lot of great running backs in this organization. You go back through Deuce McAllister, Reggie Bush, Darren Sproles, Reuben Mays, Chuck Muncie, George Rogers, Ricky Williams. There have been a lot of great running backs here, but I don't think we've seen one as versatile as Alvin Kamara. Now, what I think would happen is if Kamara were to go down, I think they would turn back into the the, the old Saints with Air Payton. Air Payton, and they would just go to the passing game because they can't run it as well. But I would say this. this One thing that's been a little overlooked in this preseason, I think the running game is on, on point. And when I watch that first-team offensive line, they're mauling people. I think Eric McCoy, he stepped right in. He is going to be an upgrade over Max Unger as a run blocker. There's no question. At least for his final year, because even Unger admitted that he struggled his final Fell year. Fell off, right. Th- this team's going to be able to run the ball om- almost everybody. And that offensive line is a strength. And no one's really talking about how, how well they can run the ball. They can run the ball on just about anybody. And so I, I do think this team would go to a more of a passing attack and get the ball. Because Jared Cooks, you would agree with me, a whole new dimension that we haven't seen in the preseason. I think the Saints are kind of hiding Jared Cooks. That's why I didn't play in preseason game three. Right, they're not, He's not injured. They're not showing him right now, folks. I mean, they are purposely keeping him under wraps. Trust me, against the Houston Texans, you're going to see Jared Cook. It's going to go back to the almost three-headed monster like 2011 when you had Sproles and Colston and Jimmy Graham. But this time, Kamara's better than Sproles. Michael Thomas is better than Colston. Jared Cook's not as better maybe on the surface as Jimmy Graham, but he might thrive just as much within this offense. So I think in that sense, they're better off with that trio than they were even with one of the best offenses to ever play the game in a single season. 100%. I think this offensive line is as good as that offensive line. So this offense, I don't have any concerns about it. I think we all saw Drew Brees in that Jets game. No, no, no. He's got a rag arm. It's yeah, over. I don't, that, that whole thing, Larry did a great job of, of documenting that and that myth is the way I would call it. Drew Brees is fine. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's never been about arm strength. I don't know why people – I don't know, Larry, if people just conspicuously see one throw and they immediately try to correlate that one throw with something of a bigger meaning. I can answer that with one word, yes. It, it seems that way. Yes. Drew Brees is fine. He, he is a strength of this team, not a problem. And I can tell you, I'm working on a book. I don't know if, I, if this is public yet or not, but – 
I'm doing a book on the Saints offense and Drew Brees and Sean Payton, and I'm doing a lot of really in-depth interviews. And I can tell you, Drew Brees plans to keep playing. He's not going anywhere. And now, if something catastrophic happens, circumstances can change. But he is not thinking about retirement right now. I think if they won a Super Bowl, that might enter a different element into the equation. But I also think he would consider that another opportunity. I think he would look at it as, hey, I can win another one. We've got Kamara, Thomas, all those guys under contract. I can win three Super Bowls. That's the way I think Drew Brees would look at it. I don't think he's looking at this. This is not the same as Peyton Manning, who is limping to the finish line after a really bad injury. I mean, he's still in very good health, still playing very well. And I think just like Tom Brady won a Super Bowl last year and didn't walk away and is one year older than Drew Brees, I think Drew Brees would keep playing. That's just my two cents. Let me ask you this. Does it matter to Drew that – he beats out Tom Brady as far as playing time. Like, as if he doesn't want to retire before Tom Brady. Do you think that matters? Well, publicly, he'd probably never say that, but I think it does. We know how he's wired. I think all that stuff matters, but I think more than anything, he wants to win more championships. Sure. And I think he thinks they can. Now, if this team fell apart, and we were back in the 7-9 and nine Saints days, I think he would be ready to walk away. But like I think Brett Favre, say 2010, when, all right, they were NFC Championship mm-hmm. game, a hair away from getting to a Super Bowl, and they plummeted, and he said, I'm And done. he walked away, yeah. Right. I think that's what Drew would do, but this team doesn't really show any signs of that. And I think as long as they're in the championship window, he's going to continue to want to play and going to keep playing. Now, if he sees himself like Max Unger falling off in his – his performance falling off, then he might walk away. But I don't think he sees that right now. And the Saints, according to Sean Payton, have not seen it on tape. The only ones apparently have seen it on tape are a bunch of fans, or I should say a few fans, that saw one underthrow against the Eagles that got picked off on the first play of the game, and everybody's now worried about Drew Brees' arm strength. I don't see it either. Like I, I, I have to spend my time, I feel like, all the time defending Drew, even though uh, they say, oh, it's just because this, that, the other. No, it has to do with, I've watched all this film, I've watched all this stuff on him, and he doesn't need to throw the ball 75 yards down the field like Jamarcus Russell, or somebody like a Kyle Bowler. Oh, he could throw the football 80 yards, uh, first round pick. And yeah. we've never who do you heard want, of Kyle Bowler? Yeah, do you exactly. want Kyle Bowler or Drew Brees? We've never heard of those guys in a decade, so who cares? And so, you cater to Drew's strengths, that's being accurate and knowing what the defense is doing and getting him in the right play. And he's doing all that with, I don't want to say ease, but he makes it look easy. Yeah, he did. He on, really did, Didn't he against the Jets the other night? I mean, it yes. looked like he was in midseason form. I mean, they just were checking the plays. He was getting the ball right to the right guy. Those two passes, we were talking about it before we went on air, the two passes to Mike Thomas, both of those plays, the Jets had great coverage. I'm sure the defensive backs were wondering what the heck happened because they were right in the perfect position. Now, one of them didn't get his head around quick enough. Those are indefensible plays because Drew Brees, he has the greatest accuracy of any quarterback in NFL history, and Mike Thomas can go up and make those contested catches with his athleticism and his strong hands. Yeah, the Saints looked in midseason form, and that's why they shut it down after one drop. Yeah, I think we could touch on, I was planning on touching on some more roster races within this podcast, but Jeff and I are going to be doing one later in the week after the Saints preseason final game. And so we'll jump more into that, our thoughts on on the projections of of roster races later on. But one subject that I'm sure you did not see coming, I did not see coming, America didn't see coming, 
the Indianapolis Colts probably did not see coming is that Andrew Luck retired. And I think that just goes to show you we're talking so much about Drew Brees right now. Andrew Luck's not even 30, and he is retiring. Now, I'm not going to put it past him to not, never come back again. Maybe he takes a year or two off. But I think that it just goes to show you you could have a great talent at quarterback, and if they're not protected well and if the, the offense and the talent around you is not the right way or the right coaching or the right GM, something like this can happen. And I think even Drew probably looked at it when he heard what happened. And I know he was asked a lot about it after the Jets game. But, man, this is something that you better feel fortunate when you have a quarterback like Drew Brees. I mean, it is uncanny the way he's kept his body healthy, the way he's played. It, it's rare. And for something like this with Andrew Luck, I think it definitely speaks to someone who is, all right, thinking about his life after football. Certainly an intelligent guy. It's not like he hasn't made money. He's made plenty of money. But when enough's enough, enough is enough. And I think it's just, it's almost a little bit of a wake-up call, maybe a little bit for the NFL, but also fans booing Andrew Luck. I mean, I thought that was inappropriate. At minimum, I mean, inappropriate. For someone to step away and this, that, and the other. Unexpected, sure, but I think it just also goes to show you in another point that, man, you better feel lucky when you got Drew Brees. You want to whine and moan and complain about arm strength? Give me a break. This guy's still rolling. And, and I, look, you hit on a couple of key points in that decision, and that is one, Andrew Luck has made a lot of money already. He can afford to walk away. Whereas if you're a guy at the end of the roster, You've been earning minimum wage in, in NFL, NFL relative speaking. You can't afford to do that, probably. And Andrew Luck has so much going for him outside of football that he can be successful in other walks of life. Some people can't, frankly. I don't know if I could succeed in anything outside of what I'm in. I don't have that. From judging by your guest celebrity bartending at Molly's, in the quarter less than a week ago, no, you would fail at that time. I would definitely fail at bartending, I can tell you that. If you had more than one drink order, I was helpless. I could or not if remember. Like two, if it was more than a two-ingredient drink, you were toast? I was helpless, yes. I could pour a beer. I could get you a glass of wine. I could do that Irish coffee thing they have there where oh, you just basically, basically comes out of like a Tasty Freeze ice cream stand. But I could not mix a drink very well. But the point is... He has a lot of talents, just like Drew Brees. I mean, Drew Brees could be the CEO of a bank, and it would be a Fortune 500 company. There's no doubt in my mind. Andrew Luck's also multi-talented. So I don't know if it's necessarily applicable across the league, but he's had a run of bad luck, pardon the pun, and injury-wise, he had the same injury that Drew Brees had. Drew Brees came back from it and has not had any really serious injuries since then. Andrew Lux had one thing after the other, and I really believe he's going to come back and play. I think he's going to take a year. They just had a newborn, I believe, he and his wife. He's a newlywed. I think in a year from now, and that's why the Indianapolis Colts are not taking his signing bonus money. They don't want to anger him in any way. They want to leave on good terms and leave that door open to where if he has a change of heart in a year, he comes back, and I think he will. I, I, from every one thing I've read about him, he loves football. It's not like he doesn't love it. Uh, I think he eventually comes around, misses the game, much the way Jason Witten did, 
and steps back into a, uh, a huddle probably this time of year from now. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on. You're going to love this. Tinfoil hat. So say he comes back in two years. Say a certain quarterback in New Orleans is gone. I remember Sean Payton really wanted to go coach Andrew Luck and the Colts back when he was contemplating leaving. This is back, this is the 2005 after that season. Heir apparent to Drew Brees, Andrew Luck. He was heir apparent to Peyton Manning. Let's do it again. Boom. Let's do it. Colts would have to trade him, Larry. Right this, right. They have the rights to him. Good. Trade Taysom Hill. He's the greatest quarterback in American history. In my mind, Trade yes. him away. I know one thing. It, it makes, it makes the week 15 game <laughs> against the Colts on Monday Night Football. A lot easier for the Saints. Even though Jacoby Brissett, and you and I sat in Sean Payton's office and listened to him talk it's about Jacoby. It's funny Jac- how we he loves, there and he loves him. He loves Jacoby Brissett. Matter of fact, they considered drafting him the year that the Patriots took him because Bill Parcells, he's a Bill Parcells guy. And anybody that's a Parcells guy is usually a Payton guy. Is that why Tommy Lee Lewis was on the roster for three years? Same reason. Yes. But he liked him. Sean Payton liked him a lot. And the Colts appear to like him a lot as well. But now that's a different offense with Jacoby Brissett than it was with Andrew Luck. And they're going to have to tailor that offense much the same way the Saints would if Teddy Bridgewater or Taysom Hill took over from Drew Brees. It's not going to be the same offense that they had with Andrew Luck. Now, well, let's for our final segue segment here on the Dunk and Boulder podcast, LSU and Tulane. They're opening. Like, we're talking about Saints, and they still got a preseason game left. LSU opens with Georgia Southern. Tulane opens with Florida International. Both are home games. Expectations are high on each of their own levels. Of course, LSU, people are thinking college football playoff. For Tulane, they're thinking possible American championship talk. We're talking a lot about high expectations for the Saints, but, man, I'd say for both of those teams, you're going into week one, and people – Rightfully so, Jeff, are thinking these things I just said can actually be reality. And that's probably the first time in a good bit, especially under Coach O and under Willie Fritz, that we can speak in both of those terms for both of those programs. Well, I think it speaks to the stability of the programs. There hadn't been a lot of stability there recently. Now, Willie Fritz is entering his fourth year at Tulane. This is, for all intents and purposes, the fourth year for at Ogeron, technically the third year. But... He's been in the program for four years. You've got the same quarterback, starting quarterback, in Joe Burrow and Justin McMillan at both places. So you've got stability in the two most important places for a football team, head coach and quarterback. That hasn't happened very often. You have the same offensive coordinator coming back to LSU and Steve Insminger. They brought in Joe Brady. In my opinion, and in most fans' opinions, what has held LSU back from being elite is their offense and their quarterback play and their offensive scheme they finally addressed that. And I, th- I think you have to give Ed Ogeron a lot of credit. Uh, this second time around for him as a head coach has been very impressive. He, I think, learned a lot from his mistakes at Ole Miss. He knows what he doesn't know, and he implements and hires people in those positions. He's brought in Joe Brady, who the Saints thought very highly of, to upgrade their offensive passing attack, and I think it's going to help them in recruiting. And now you feel like you've got a modern-day offense to go with the incredible defense that they have under Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda is an NFL-caliber defensive coordinator. They've got first-round draft picks all over the defense. This team, I will be shocked if they lose more than two games this year, and I think 10-2 and two puts them in the mix for the college football playoff, and that's the first time you can really say that legitimately. 
Okay, I'm going to go devil's advocate here. We heard the same thing about Matt Canada, and that thing completely blew up in their face. How do we know? I mean, people are... All you got to do is listen to local radio, especially Baton Rouge radio, and they think Joe Brady is Sean Payton. I'm going to temper my expectations a little bit, especially week one. I don't know what they're going to want to show because they've got that huge matchup against Texas in week two. I know you'll be in Baton Rouge for week one. I'll be in Austin uh, with Brody in week two. And I'm sorry, I still need to see to believe it. Do I think Joe Burrow is a better quarterback than probably the last six they've had? Yes. That's where my enthusiasm so, is. I, they've got a guy that can run that system. You have to. Have, he's a coach's son, and he is a gym rat for football. And that's what you need. You need a Drew Brees type. He's also a legitimate draft prospect. You go look at uh, what our, our draft guy, Dane Brugler, he's, he's told me, look, he, he could see him as the sixth best prospect going into the NFL, and that's just before the season. If he plays better, I mean, he could jump some guys. And this quarterback class is probably going to be pretty legit as far as prospects are concerned. you got Big Tua, uh, you got Justin Herbert, Jake Fromm. I know there's a lot of, pardon the pun, love for Jordan Love in Utah State, K.J. Costello from Stanford. And then after that, a lot of people think Joe Burrow. And so he is not just some game manager. I mean, no offense to Matt Flynn. He was a seventh-round pick. They won a national title with him. He wasn't a top NFL prospect. Joe Burrow is actually thought of in that way. And, and I think the schedule is a lot more manageable this year. Last year's schedule was a bear, and I thought they did about as well as you could do. considering it did better than I thought they yeah, would be. Yeah, and B too. And I think they exceeded expectations a year ago. And this year – that game in Austin, you'll be at that game in week two. That obviously is a make-or-break game for their national title expectations. If they can go down there, get a win in Austin, I think they're going to be unbeaten going into that game against Alabama. And they can even afford to lose to Alabama, and I think it'd still be considered a national title because no one in the country is going to beat Alabama at Alabama, probably, even Clemson. So I think there's a reason expectations are so high, and I think they're legitimate and I think it goes back also to, to Ed Ogeron addressing – it seems like each year he addresses an issue that needs to be addressed. They fix special teams. He brought in Greg McMahon from the Saints. Special teams now are a strength at LSU. They always were a little bit of a clown show there. And now they've got, and they've got the best defensive coordinator in the country. We'll see what they do on offense. But I'm also very high on John Emery, the running back out of Destrehan. I think this guy's going to be a superstar. I mean, he flipped from Georgia to LSU. He's going to be a superstar. They're going to get back to running the ball with him. They're going to—I think the passing game is so wide open. You've got legitimate threats on the perimeter. Joe Burrow's just got to get out of the way and get the ball in the hands of these playmakers. And LSU, I think, is—I think they're a power this year. But I think they've got to go to Tuscaloosa. This would be a year I think they could play with Alabama, maybe beat them if they weren't playing them in Tuscaloosa. I just don't see them doing it. I think Alabama is going to win the national championship this year. I think they're the best team in college football, better than Clemson. And I don't know why people think this is going to be LSU's year because I think Alabama's better than LSU and they're playing at home. I think they're starstruck by what happened, or awestruck, I should say, by what Clemson did to them last year. And so people are are on that and Trevor Lawrence is coming back. And so, no, look, I, I think the expectations are valid for LSU. But I can tell you on our next podcast coming up later in this week, We'll touch a lot more on Tulane because I know, Jeff, you and me will be at Yeoman Stadium. Yes. On Thursday night, while Catherine, will, she will be covering the final preseason game 
for the Saints. So we will have both of us at Yulman Stadium against Florida International. And I can tell you, I'm working on a, a cool profile with Patrick Johnson, who's one of the best returning pass rushers in America. People yeah. don't even understand that. So I'm going to be working on that. And so we'll be, we'll be touching on that. But Jeff, I'd say, man, just for our first return podcast, I think you didn't screw it up. No one here at Cooter Browns dumped a shot of Jaeger on my head yet. Yet. Now someone might saw me in the back, which we keep hearing in the background, if that's what you keep hearing. But that, that's, that's just part of the course of New Orleans. Yeah, I think they're sawing up one of those cars they found down in the culvert over in Bayou St. John. Maybe somebody doesn't realize that you don't need to use a chainsaw to cut open an oyster shell. Just saying. Yeah, I don't know. But you're right. A successful first show. We will touch on the Tulane game on Friday. We'll have the podcast back at you on Friday. We want to wait till Tulane plays their opener and the Saints have that preseason game on Thursday night. So we'll have lots of breaking down of both those games on Friday as we get to episode two of Duncan Holt. Absolutely. Don't forget LSU plays the next day. So perfect time to discuss all that. So I want to thank Danielle back in the studio for putting up with our nonsense. She's going to have to do this for a long time. Background noise and all. So I want to thank Danielle working hard for us at The Athletic. So and if you're not following us on Twitter already, look, Go follow us at Larry Holder on Twitter, at Jeff Duncan underscore, and of course, at The Athletic NOLA. So for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Appreciate you jumping on board and stick with us for the Duncan Holder podcast. See you next time.